0: to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. I'm Tim. Today we're going to talk about Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, but before we get to all that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you can write to us, let us know what you think of our show and the things that we talk about. And uh, please go to mpn.bz Patreon or patreon.com slash MidwestPodNet. Consider throwing us just a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. We appreciate it very much. Uh, and uh, you get to uh, not only do you get early access to some Midwest game nerds and horror movie yearbook uh, bonus episodes, but also if you're able to do $5 a month, you can talk to us on the discord at any time of night. Uh, if, if you want to talk to me at three in the morning, as I'm just finishing up either binging several episodes of fringe or, <laughs> you know, playing some stupid video game that I shouldn't be up that late playing. Uh, I'm usually there, so consider that if uh, if that sounds like something you want to do.
1: We do kind of go in shifts, you're right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it's it's uh it's pretty good. it's yeah. interesting. Um, but everybody's in there. We're all talking about different stuff, including uh, Dave Steele's pizza pizza exploit his adventures in in pizza making, which is his uh, Instagram account that everybody should check out if you like looking at pictures of gorgeous looking pizzas. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, you know, we can talk about comics or video games, movies. We will talk about anything you want to talk about. Just give us five bucks. Come talk to us in the Discord. Um, but yeah, as for the rest of the Midwest Podcast Network, the Midwest Game Nerds talked about Outriders, and I also talked about Marvel's Avengers on that episode. Um, and this coming episode, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. Probably a little bit about Fantasian, which is an iOS RPG. That came out on Apple Arcade recently, so I'm excited to talk about that. And then uh, the horror movie yearbook, boys, Tim, you guys talked about. uh,
1: We just we just did the Amityville horror, the 1979 version, um, which was, yeah, was a good episode. We mostly we talked a lot about the kind of legend of the actual house itself, um, which was which was a ton of fun. And kind of the backstory there. And then coming up, we are going to be talking about Mortal Kombat, the 1995 version, which is more horror adjacent than anything. I think we just kind of wanted to talk about it with the new movie <laughs> coming out. So hey. so we are going to be doing that one.
0: Any opportunity to talk about the original Mortal Kombat movie? I, is, I have not uh, seen it one. in
1: a long time. Willie has, but it's been a while for me, so I'm excited.
2: You should roll Annihilation into it. Talk about <laughs> horror adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> you know a different good, kind of horror.
1: You know I'm probably going to because after the evil Horror, I'm like, I'm going to watch some sequels. And I made I made it two sequels in and I go, that's enough because there are like <laughs> ten more.
2: There's only one sequel to Mortal Kombat. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it does follow in that tradition of horror movie sequels where it's yeah. the first one's awesome and then the second one just you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know what? Annihilation is weird for me because for some reason I still like, it's been a long time since I've watched it, but I, there's still part of me. That's like, I still get more people from the video game that I like in this movie, even though it's terrible. And so I I liked it in some amounts, but like, like I said, it has been a long time. So maybe I should rewatch it too.
2: It's, it's baffling. Honestly, (laughs) it's such a confusing movie. The, uh, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you guys should talk about it
1: yeah I'll probably check it out and I know Willie even if he doesn't watch it will remember it enough to yeah for sure some of the behind
2: the scenes stuff about that movie is pretty interesting yeah (laughs) Good old
0: Paul widescreen. Um, And then, of course, uh, there's a new episode of Multimedium about Clue that just came out this week as well, uh, which was great. Uh, Yeah, this is a good job.
1: Yeah, I was. We we talked about this. Willie and I talked about this before we recorded because it had taken a while. But I think both of us were kind of maybe not the most. We wanted to stretch ourselves and pick like a weird like a board game to a movie. And yeah, like before we kind of sat down and watched it, we realized. Or talked about it we went man we should have picked battleship <laughs>
0: oh that would have been a good one <laughs> but, hey, yeah. you can you can circle back around we'll come know? back
1: we'll come yeah. back to it but we we both went man yeah because we weren't real excited to watch clue and then we watched clue and i think it turned out pretty well um it was yeah i it, it turned out pretty good so I'm, I'm pretty happy with the episode i think really was too a bit surprised by how much we enjoyed it so
0: yeah i had not seen clue until uh at some point last year, I think uh, it was on Amazon and Nicole and I saw it and, and I had always heard it was quite good. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a great movie. So people should certainly play around a clue and then watch the movie and then listen to multimedia so they can get their head wrapped around the adaptation process of clue. Yes. Uh, so uh, and then you guys are going to be doing. Um,
1: We're doing. Which, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. We're doing Jurassic Park next yes. is on the docket. So the creighton book the first book and then the spielberg movie is what we're going to be doing so it's a little bit more traditional um nice than the past couple of episodes so i know the creighton book is of course i mean it's available um everywhere and then i don't know where the movie is you probably find the movie too i'm sure so
0: <laughs> it's out there somewhere yeah. um i uh i keep holding back from like sitting down and writing you guys an email with just 50 ideas in it yeah <laughs> um But this is the one that I'm going to put out there. And I don't want this to be, this is not the founder passing down a law saying you have to do this. But if at any point you guys would like to talk about the adaptation of Mamma Mia, maybe from ABBA songs and then into a movie after being a play, I think that'd be a lot of fun too.
1: We are, Um, um, we are talking about this. Because we're trying to figure out how to do it if we want to do the stage play into the movie or if we want to do the songs into the sequel, because the sequel is not based on a stage play. We've, uh, there have been discussions. So
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't I didn't mean to step on your guys' toes <laughs> no, I there. Sorry. I didn't.
1: And if you want to join, I'm sure <sighs> we can <I'm> accommodate. There.
0: <laughs> I'm there. Anytime, whenever, for sure. Uh, and I have seen the, I did go see the play at the Fisher Theater did when you? I was here uh, oh, uh, awesome. several years ago. So, um. But yeah.
1: So you you are a Baba expert.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I hope so, but uh, you know, I I, w- I would like to be. I would say so. But uh yeah, no. I so like forward-
2: I, I like the uh board game to to movie is quite a leap outside of I think conventional thinking when it comes to mediums and uh, yeah. adapting one another and I I really like the outside of the box. I would like to nominate uh, taking like an amusement park ride that's been adapted into a property. Pirates? I think there's a I think there's a noteworthy movie yeah. coming out this year that you might be interested in. Oh, tackling. Ju-
1: oh yes, yes, yes. Jungle Cruise.
2: I, I would uh, love to hear you guys string out a whole episode about a ride being turned into a movie. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Pirates uh, is is the battleship of that equation. It makes way more sense. <laughs> 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 but my mind went to Jungle Cruise.
1: We should do battleships because, yeah, I still don't know how they adapted pegs going into a hole. I'm pretty two. sure they
2: do. Uh,
0: <laughs> you know, I watched that movie because uh, Taylor Kitsch is in it, uh, and I don't remember anything about it. So, no. um,
1: you Taylor Kitsch, Rihanna, and Liam Neeson. The-
0: the, all the you tree. need. You got all, a stew going. All that I'm like 95% sure of is that there is definitely some overhead shot of battleships. And that's yes. all you can really get from that. Didn't <laughs> from Peter Berg direct
1: that?
2: Yes. yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> See, I've never seen it. Berg's oh, a good director. No. I'm going to
1: try to sell you on it real quick. There's a they you use You don't actual, need to. No, like, they use actual <laughs> veterans like um like actual veterans from different wars in in it and they start cranking ACDC while they while they fight along like the battleship <laughs> actors and stuff.
2: <laughs> Sounds great.
0: <laughs> oh man. I and that's the thing. I don't remember hating that movie, but I, like just why is the big question? So I, yeah, you guys, you guys hit it on the head. But go listen to multimedia uh, about Clue, and you'll get a little bit of Battleship talk in there. So uh, all right, I think we should get into what we've been watching. Uh, I'm gonna throw to Tim first. Oh, okay. Tim, what have you been watching?
1: So every once, I didn't do this last year, and every once in a while, once they announce the Oscar nominations, I like to try to catch up before the big show just so i have Mm. uh catch up with what i can because a lot of the times they're still in theaters or maybe not out but this year was a little bit easier because a lot of these movies have been out on netflix hulu amazon or vod uh for a while now so i was able to fit in everything but the father and minari um before the show this weekend so I kind of have a, whether I watch the show or not is different, but I will have a, I'll have a work like I will have some knowledge going into it of you'll, what I like.
0: You'll see the tweet of what one best picture and you'll either be like, yeah, or, mm.
1: <laughs> which honestly is, is how I am anyway. Most of the time. <laughs> so, so I can, um, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to run through, I'm going to rapid fire through these six, I think that I've seen. Well, um,
0: real quick. I'll, yeah. I'll say, I'll just say the nominees, uh, the father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago Seven. So those those are the nominees for Best Picture this year. Yes, uh, for the Oscars, which is this weekend for those of you catching this shortly after it comes out. So
1: yeah, and I didn't see a lot of the uh, a lot of the other ones, like the ones for Best Actor and stuff like that. So it's mostly been. But a lot of them are in these, so I'll have yeah. some opinion on them. But um, let's see. All right, so we'll start with Judas and the Black Messiah. That was uh, that's a good movie. It has a couple of great performances, but it this group to me feels this entire group of Oscar pictures. They're all strong. And they all kind of have flaws. So they're not, I'm sorry, they're not very strong. <laughs> Just it's way opposite than what I met. They're good movies, but with flaws, a lot of them. Um, mm-hmm. There's one in particular that I think is uh, who, that is really good. And we'll talk about that one later. Um, but Judas and the Black Messiah is good, but it feels like it's missing half the story. The Bill O'Neill section of the movie feels kind of half-baked to me, which is the Lakeith like Stanfield um, is who he plays. But um, it's very entertaining and the Fred Hampton stuff is particularly effective and makes a good kind of addendum to Trial of Chicago 7, which is another Oscar name nominated movie, the Sorkin one, um, which does it, it treats Fred Hampton more like a footnote. So uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is a good like chaser in a lot of ways because it gives you more of his story rather than Chicago uh, 7, which kind of glosses over it in some ways he's not he doesn't play an inner, integral role i will talk about so then i watched uh trial of the show house seven two it's been a while since i've seen that one that's the aaron sorkin movie now alex have you you guys have not seen this one either
0: no i have not nick have you seen this one
2: no i haven't
1: so yeah it's tough because sorkin people's mileage tends to vary when it comes to him. Hmm. Uh, I, I like more of his stuff than I don't. I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, this is, it's a very entertaining movie and it's Sorkin doing a courtroom drama. And that is, that is always kind of a weak spot for me. It's also him kind of riffing on Capra too. And that's, I kind of like when he does that too, but it's also, it's very, it's very slick, kind of toothless in some ways, entertainment, but that's also what it, what it is. And it kind of plays fast and loose with certain things maybe certain facts to kind of make it a little bit more hollywood or a little bit more Sorkin-y, if you will um
3: <laughs>
1: it, i did like it i did like it um it is also worth watching eddie redmayne attempts a midwestern accent in this movie
2: <laughs> Oh so, man! So, I've oh seen boy. this in the trailer, and it made it's, my lip curl. Yeah, it's
1: really good. <laughs> but this also has a and honestly, his performance is pretty good outside of the accent. But it, this has some very good uh, performances. Mark Rylance, again is always, always solid. He kind of just plays himself a lot, but he has or he has one mode, I should say, and he kind of hits mm. it. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, Sound of Metal. Uh, this was good. I just it, it was good. Uh, it, this is one. It didn't do a ton for me. It's, it, there's not a lot new in this movie. Um, it's just mm. it feels more like a showcase for Reza Med than like an actual great story. I mean, it's eh, yeah, <laughs> it just I was kind of lukewarm on this one. So um, there's that yeah, real re- quick.
0: Judas and yeah. the Black Messiah. It was did you watch that on HBO Max when it was up?
1: That was out on HBO Max. Sound of Metal is on Prime right now, actually. yeah. Uh, Sh- then- Chicago 7 is on Netflix.
0: Okay, yep, okay.
1: Uh, then I got two more here. Yeah, uh, promising young Woman. So this is the Carrie Mulligan one, and she is the best part of this movie. This is from this is basically a from a subgenre of movies that I'm not crazy about. a kind of a rape revenge movie. It's mm. something kind of like a a slicker. Um, it's kind of crazy to me that this movie is basically a slicker. I spit on your grave, and they've kind of polished into an Oscar. Nominate. i kind of like it's in it's kind of insane to me but it, it 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 takes from a lot of those kind of movies and they're not my favorite kind of movies this is very entertaining and it can be very kind of um cutting and very sharp uh, with its wit but it has i don't want to spoil anything it has two endings though and one of them mm. i'm not crazy about and the other one i hate and mm. <laughs> and they're The thing with this movie is I almost feel like the performances elevate it to because Clancy Brown's in this, too, I should add. And um, it elevates it to a point of an Oscar movie. And when you elevate it to that point, (laughs) I think it takes away from where it works best, which is kind of as an exploitation revenge movie. And when those if it's just a straightforward exploitation revenge movie and that endings those endings happen i don't mind it so much but when it's a it, like an important movie those endings really really hurt it in some ways and people have people have written about it um and you can find it it also just doesn't make any sense to me on a plot level so that was my main issue with it and so then the last one is mank which is the fincher movie that's on netflix uh promising yeah. young woman by the way is on vod i think right now okay i read that one Mank is also very entertaining And this is another one kind of like Chicago seven where the dialogue is very, very good, sharp. And the performances are all uh, Gary Oldman's fantastic. This, though, it's weird. The technical stuff kind of distracted me in it because he kind of he tries to capture those old Fincher tries to capture those old Hollywood movies and the sound and the visuals. So it's in black and white, but also the audio is attempting to kind of have that kind of like uh, that aesthetic from those old movies. And it kind of crackles at times and it distracted me more than added uh, to it for me. So it's definitely, this is probably though, I I, I know I sound kind of negative on it, but it's probably my second favorite of this bunch that I watched just because it is so sharp and fun to watch. But I guess the other issue is it kind of only tells the Mankiewicz side of the story and mm. it doesn't, it doesn't, it, that's what it's filtered through. So you kind of have to take it, take it as it is for that. So,
0: I didn't realize that it was ba- it was uh the f- it's based on a screenplay by his father. Okay. So that's cool. That's yeah. a cool uh some depth to it there. But um I have been meaning to watch it and like I think I brought it up on the tenant episode, I was like, There's a David Fincher movie that dropped in my lap for free during the pandemic and I still have not watched it. Um, right. which is weird for me, but also I felt as though Uh, as somebody who's never seen Citizen Kane, I should probably watch that before I watch this movie.
1: I don't, Um, um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Just just for for context. context. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, you could watch this without without watching that. Um, There's also a movie called RKO 281 that I recall from like college that I think is similar to this and more straightforward because this one kind of jumps around in time as well. But it's been a while since I've seen that, so I don't know how that holds up, but that's also on HBO. Um, Okay hbo max so but it's been a long time it was an hbo original movie from the 90s and i think it deals with a lot of the same subject matter as
0: this one so there you go well thank you for the best picture rundown yeah um you know and if you happen to catch the father and minari at some point in the future uh you know here's what's (laughs)
1: let us know Here's what sucks. I always do this, and then there's always a couple I miss, and then I never end up watching them.
0: So. <laughs> well, those were last year's movies. They don't matter anymore. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I have been dying to see Minari. I did really want to watch Sound of Metal and um, Promising Young Woman as well. Um, so Minari
1: I've, is the one I'm more likely to check out probably than The Father. So, I'm, I yeah. do want to see that one because I like Stephen Jung a lot. So.
0: I don't know if you guys knew this, but The Father is not a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, just, <laughs> just so you're aware. Who was it edited by, though? Uh, I went away from the Wikipedia page that I had open, but it's uh, it's
2: uh, uh, Yorgos Lamprinos. Oh, so, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> There's a joke there somewhere. I'm just too burnt out to make it. <laughs> I but, tried. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nick what
0: uh are there any that you're particularly excited to check out best picture wise i know you you meant to watch a few more
2: but. yeah i did and and now i don't feel as though i need to because tim just took all the wind <laughs> out of my sails for <laughs> everything that he said it was so so
1: <laughs> I, good good but flawed is what i said i
2: <laughs> yeah uh i did really want to watch a sound uh the sound of metal uh it sounds like an interesting premise and i'm always uh, kind of Interested in what happens when musicians start to lose their hearing because I figure that's got to be a thing that happens almost universally across professional musicians, especially metal uh, drummers and such. So, it, it you know, I can't help but th- I think I'll probably end up somehow comparing it to Whiplash, even though that's probably not fair at all mm. to the movie, but I still want to see it. And uh, I do want to see Mank. Like, honestly, they all sound good. I'm kicking myself in the ass for not watching Judas and the Black Messiah when it was on HBO. Because I kept meaning to... I did the same thing I've done with these other two movies where I kept meaning to. And, like, I was like, cool. Tonight's the night. I'm watching it. And by the time I finally get done with my day and everything, it's like 9 o'clock. And I sit down. And then next thing I wake up, it's midnight. And I'm like, oh, God. And then I do it all again the next day. So, that's how that's been going. Honestly, I've been having a better time watching shows than movies for that exact reason or I end up splitting a movie into like three viewings because all I can do is watch a half hour at a time before I just succumb to sleep. Well, what have you been watching in that case? I have, well, I have two instances of both of those things. One, I finally, for the first time watched an episode of deadliest catch, which is funny because I feel like it's a show that was talked about like crazy for years and years back in the day. I know it was like a phenomenon. And that's like feels like it was sort of in the early days of reality TV, earlier days that were shows not just about people talking and like families and stuff. Um, my wife really likes it and she used to watch it a lot like 10 year, 10 plus years ago when it was on. And it's kind of fun to watch because, well, the people are actually doing something, which is nice. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to watch reality TV, I want it to be like Dirty Jobs or something like that. Yeah. Where people are actually serving a function in the world and not just complaining or belittling <laughs> each other or getting rich for existing, uh, if you catch my drift, I think that's a waste of time and energy. That's the that's the Bitcoin of TV. <laughs> it's killing more than it's than it's giving life to. And this is kind of interesting though, because there's actually stuff going on. And it's uh, when I'm watching it though, most of the time I can't help but think oh God, these people that are filming this, like how? Yeah. And you see so often, they'll cut to like a wide angle of like one of the stationary cameras on one of these boats and you just see a cameraman walk around just get wiped out by a wave. And you <laughs> see the cameras wrapped in like six garbage bags. And I just think about, oh my God, how... How? <laughs> yeah. Or like even, you know, you see the shots of these boats like getting thrown around and it's like storming and there's 40 foot waves and it's being shot from another boat. And I'm like, who's driving that boat? Because they're talking about like how they're in danger. And it just, the the production logistics of making that show, I think are probably incredible. And there's if there's not, there should be like a behind the scene, there should be a documentary <laughs> about making shows like that because- it's dangerous, like just that, that occupation. And one of the first episodes of, we started a few seasons in, uh, Kim was like, it's pretty, it's a pretty good deal with most of these shows like this to just jump in a few seasons ahead to where they kind of find the rhythm and, and actually make it good. Mm-hmm. And in like the first episode, there was like another boat on the show where it like went down and nobody had heard from it in like eight hours or something. And they sent out the Coast Guard out of this and all this and and three of the four crew died, like Damn. On the show, and you you know that they were in. Some of them were in the water just for minutes because they're in the Bering Sea, and just the exposure and the hypothermia just kills them. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Then I think about these dudes that are walking around with cameras on there, or that have all this equipment on them, and just think, man, one of these guys could just wind up at the bottom. It's just crazy to think about the the lengths that they go to to make these shows. So it's from that perspective, it's actually kind of interesting to watch, and it is anyway, just because what they do is so insane. He sometimes don't think about the man hours and effort that goes into getting some of the food that winds up on your plate. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there are so many jobs that are getting roboticized or uh, mass production uh, type workflows. And, you know, even Nomadland kind of is going to touch on that a little bit. Certain industries kind of closed down due to, you know, them becoming obsolete or lack of demand. But there are just certain things like this where I'm like, you know, what? I don't think they're ever going to make robots that are going to do what these guys do. It's just insane. And there's too many variables and it takes too much of the human element to adjust to changing conditions, you know. It's uh, decision-making is actually a factor in it. So, anyway, long story short, it's it's more interesting than I thought it would be and I'm kind of enjoying watching it. But like I said, I probably nightly get about 30 minutes into one episode and then I black out. So, it's been... <laughs> It's been an interesting uh, thing to wake up to and a very weird you know sometimes you fall asleep watching something and it affects like your state of mind when you wake up or mm-hmm. like your dreams and yep. I, I've woken up a few times after having fallen asleep watching that and I'm like freezing cold and <laughs> like laying in my very comfortable house and I'm just like man this is getting into my head um so on that note of blacking out and waking up in a weird state of mind uh, motivated by a recent story that was shared from our friend Lance. I, I decided to rewatch only God forgives. <laughs> oh, <boy>. And <laughs> I got, I think about 40 minutes in the other night. So I, Oh God, it was so funny. If you got, you guys both know my wife, so you'll, you'll understand why it's funny, but she fell, she long fell asleep. And so I was like, cool, I'm in control of the remote. What am I going to do? I'm going to stick a, <laughs> stick in my eyeball and watch Only God <laughs> yeah. Forgives again. And here's the thing. So I really want – this is one of those movies that I I went in with, with misaligned expectations in the theater. And part of that was my own fault. Part of that was clever marketing. Like there were just a lot of things I think that kind of conspired to make me think the movie was going to be a different movie than it was. So that's on me, whatever. So it's been eight years, I think, since that came out. And I, I remember mm-hmm. my initial impressions. I know a little bit more about what's going on. I took away some feedback from, like, the one person I know who likes it. And I was like, Oh, okay. you know too. You know too." Oh, who's the other one? Me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I,
0: I just,
1: was going to say. I wanted you to episode, admit it on
0: the record. This is episode 37 of the Midwest Film Nerds podcast, if you want to go back to it. And I think got, I'm on
1: that. It's you, probably.
0: It's, it's Tim, Gojo,
2: Lance, Nick, no, and sorry. myself. Yep.
1: Whoa. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's quite the crew. I did.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I and I guarantee that I'm, I am I am short sighted in my analysis of it. I'm sure that I'm 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 uh, insufferable when I was talking about it because I didn't uh, give it time to marinate or think about or try to look at it outside of my own uh, lens. So that's what I try to do with this viewing again.
0: And <laughs> can I can I read my description real quick? Sure. <laughs> this week, find out which one of the nerds can forgive only God forgives. <laughs> <laughs> that's Dude, a toot my own horn We know it's Tim. <laughs> so so you so you you went you went into this trying to trying to look at it a little more objectively than you did previously yeah
2: it? and i like i liked more of it this time around however i still think a little things could be done to make it a much more digestible viewing experience. I think it mm. could still it could still be a kind of bizarre art film and be a and be better at it. And I that said I do want to finish it. Um I, like I think I'm about halfway through. Um in and, and my, so to circle back on my wife, she woke up and it was so funny. She woke up and she was awake for like 15 seconds maybe and she just was staring at the TV and she's like, "What is this?" Why is no one doing anything? (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) I just started laughing because I was like, these are all very valid valid questions. And she's like, why is he just staring? And it was just Ryan Gosling, like staring. And I was like, because that's what he does. That's what he does best. He's (laughs) great at just staring and not saying anything. And she was like, Well, they cast the right person. And then she rolled over and went back to sleep. And that was it. (laughs) And uh again, very valid. But long story short, I, I am enjoying it better. Or I'm I'm enjoying it better. I'm doing better at enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> I am liking it a little bit more, and I'm getting a little more out of it. And I kind of see what he's angling for, but this is not a masterpiece, dude. And Tim, if you aren't aware of this, did you see the? It was William Friedkin, right? Yes. Alex, yep. yeah. Did you see this interview with William Friedkin, Tim? That uh, that <laughs> no, <but> Nick, I- <laughs> uh, what's his name? Nicholas Winding Refn is is interviewing uh, William Friedkin.
1: No, but I know he's done this with Aronofsky in the past, who Freakin So Okay. I mean, yeah. Listen, I, I love anything old Billy Freakin does. Oh, he's, dude. A, he's a wild man. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Well, it's amazing because he's the interviewee, okay. and Refn is talking about when he made Only God Forgives, and he says, which is a masterpiece, and then goes on to keep talking, and Freakin goes, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you think that's a masterpiece? And he just he just begins to just spank him, and it's so funny. And Reffin keeps trying to get away from it and move forward, and Friedkin won't let it go. It's really, really funny. Um, he calls yeah. his
1: own movie a masterpiece? He did. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will include a link in the
0: show notes for anybody who'd like yes. to see a clip. But please this watch This is a it. clip from, uh, from something called Sorcerer's, a conversation with William Friedkin and Nicholas Winding Refn. Um It's out there on YouTube if anybody is curious about it.
2: And the funniest part, I shouldn't say the funniest part, but an interesting and very valid part of it is that Friedkin doesn't necessarily call him out for calling his own movie a masterpiece. I think he might, but his bigger thing is like, he just is like, it, it hasn't withstood the test of time. Like you can't call a movie that has been made that recently a masterpiece.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and that's the thing. It's, it's good because it's not him being like your movie isn't a masterpiece. It's him being like, it's too soon for anybody to make that distinction. You know, like it, it, let alone the director of the movie himself saying my work is a masterpiece, which is just the most pretentious it's it insane. Ever be. It's insane. <laughs> but <freaking laughs> is basically just like this shit came out a, a, a blink ago and you're trying to say it's a masterpiece,
2: but you can't. And so, uh, yeah, it's he calls it something really crazy. He says, like, it only came out. I think it was only four years ago at the time. Yeah. Of the interview, and he says that's like a pimple on the ass of history, or something like that. He says <laughs> something really crazy about, it. and he does do the kind of exhausting thing where he goes, "If you think that he goes, Citizen Kane, talk to me about Citizen Kane." And he kind of throws back to Citizen Kane, which I know is like the that's kind of the the one that old guys tend to pull out of the as a as a masterpiece, and that's a little tiresome. But then he does he does reference two thousand one, and says like. That's the most recent movie that's allowed to be called a masterpiece, basically. <laughs> it's really funny. It, you should check it out, Tim. I think you'll like it. And 40, he, do, he does definitely call years, his right. movie shitty. He, he says, if you think that's a masterpiece, and he kind of like, he does kind of drag his movie a bit. But then he just goes on to drag his entire mentality about this <laughs> subject. And it's great because the dude deserves it. It's an insane thing to say. <laughs>
0: that's the thing i'm afraid to look up any real context or like watch the rest of that interview because i don't really understand why it happened in the first place and i think it might be better that way not knowing i don't i don't know that's
2: a it sounds
1: really funny i think that's just
2: a bridge too far for anybody i don't think there's any i don't think there's any director working today that could call a movie they made in the last 10 years a masterpiece like that's just you could call your peer like if david fincher was like on it i don't know why i just chose him because we were just talking about Mank or whatever but if he's like oh Uh, Only God Forgives is a masterpiece. It's like, well, at least it's being peer-reviewed in that context, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But to say, when I made my movie, which is a masterpiece, and then try to move on as though you just said something (laughs) not outlandish. (laughs) It's really good.
1: He says it's a masterpiece. Not like it's my masterpiece. Like, it's not like it, just solely his masterpiece. Like I believe not, he just,
2: just calls it a masterpiece.
1: So that leaves yeah. the door open for one of his other movies for him to claim it's also a masterpiece. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. For
2: him to say his body of work is made up of nothing but masterpieces. Yeah. Oh, um, boy. So anyway, but hey, it got me to re-examine Only God Forgives because I was like, I know, I know, I know in my heart of hearts that this movie is not a masterpiece. But I do want to watch it again because it's one of those things that enough time has passed that I think it deserves a bit of a re reeval from from myself. Um, so anyway, I gave it a shot, a shot, and I'm not done with it yet. But I'd
0: even be curious to go back to Drive, which is a movie that I enjoyed quite a bit. But um, I don't really know that that has even withstood the time since it came out. <laughs> so I think that
2: I think that Drive has really suffered from becoming too widely adopted by mm. film bros and. Mm. I think that uh, oddly enough, if I watch Drive again, I would probably would like it less and I'll probably end up liking Only God Forgives a little bit more because it's a mad world. <laughs> I still have to finish The Neon Demon. I got about halfway through that. I was watching it on a flight and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I forgot about that one. That one I was kind of digging. Yeah, I kind of like that one, too. That's- yeah, I was kind of
1: into that one. It's him doing kind of like an Italian horror movie. It's kind of fun. Yeah,
2: really. it is. And Keanu's Fair there, enough. right? Uh, yeah. Isn't that Keanu? Yeah, that was the one Keanu was in. I was getting that details of that one crossed with um Under the Silver Lake. Is that okay. what it's called? Have you watched that one, Tim? I have not.
1: No, that's you what is, sh-
2: you should. It's uh, the guy who directed It right? Follows. Oh yeah, yeah. I should it's his follow up. Yeah, you should check it out. I think you would like it. It's pretty bizarre, but yeah. I think you'd dig it. Anyway, uh, that's what yeah, I've been and watching. I, I believe
0: uh, so. David Robert Mitchell is the director of Under the Silver Silver Lake, and I believe it's up on Amazon Prime, or at least yeah. it was for quite a while. I so. kept wanting
2: and, to say David Robert Eggers, but I know that's the that's the <laughs> that's Lighthouse the guy yeah. and The Witch. Yeah, Robert Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. Eggers. Yeah, yeah. I was combining them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and who's David, 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 David
2: David Gordon Green. No, I was thinking, no, okay.
0: (laughs) David, I don't know what's going on anymore. I just, I just re-looked up David Robert Mitchell because I forgot that that was his
2: name. (laughs) It follows. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's Thursday night. It sounds kind of like Robert Mitchum. So there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of names out there. (laughs) Well, it's three names in the first place. Like you're rid of one. Really? Uh, answer, right? Anything else Nick No I think that's about it I'm just glad I got to talk about Only God Forgives for the second time On this show <laughs> 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 Maybe not the last because I'll finish it <laughs> I'll probably finish it
0: Well, Yes you'll have to let us know How the rest of the movie goes
3: You know Alex
1: there is a uh, Dave Eggers uh, Who is a he wrote a Hologram for the King Yeah he's an author he wrote The Circle Too which was I believe a book But that was that Tom Hanks movie Then he wrote A Hologram for the King which also I think he's a yeah. writer too no.
0: He also, there's one other, he did, uh... Did he do Where the Wild Things Are? No. Uh, No, I don't think so. He did uh, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, which I've heard is very good. Okay. That's the other Eggers that I knew,
2: but... Okay. You just reminded me, uh, I don't know how, but I do have one more thing I've been watching. I forgot. Okay, what else? Uh, I watched The New Mutants on... Hulu, HBO... HBO Max.
0: HBO Max. is where I've seen it recently, so I assume that's where you saw it.
2: Have either of you guys seen it? Uh, not yet. No. No. You know it's not bad. It's. Uh, I don't know where I would rank it in the in the overall scheme of X Men movies, but I like. I think I liked it better than Dark Phoenix. I think I would go back to it sooner than Dark Phoenix. It's. Were, it's did good. you
1: did you dislike Dark Phoenix? Because I I thought you and I kind of no I, I kind of liked that. it
2: yeah, yeah I, liked I, I was <laughs> I was encouraging you to watch it because I thought yeah. you would you would uh get something out of it for sure no i do like dark phoenix i just think i'm good but you know like i think i've seen it the once and i'm all set yeah and i i will always forever hold this special place in my heart though because it was the final it proved to be the final movie i saw at the amc uh southfield which was Mm -hmm. great gojo and i went there (laughs) together i think we paid like three bucks to see it or something and like the ceiling was falling apart in the theater and like it was the most dilapidated, insane yeah. movie theater experience. And that was a once prominent uh, theater for us. So it was kind of wild. But anyway, I'll always remember that that's the last movie I saw there. Wow. Um, yeah. Dark Phoenix was fine. I just I'm all set on the Phoenix saga, yeah. I think, yeah, for yeah. for the next, I don't know, 30 Ever? years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's got a, a new mutant says a lot going for it. I like. I like the team already. I'm already a a fan of that roster and a lot of those characters. I think the casting is pretty awesome across the board. Uh, It's a pretty small movie, which is cool. The actual overall cast of the movie is is really only like eight or nine people. Like It's a pretty small movie. Uh, It really only takes place in the one setting for the most part. So that's kind of cool. It definitely has some neat horror movie vibes to it. Uh, Without getting too much into the story, it does have a lot of really frustrating things about it, though, because it has a ton of potential. Uh, They definitely like when it ended, I was like, I want to see more. Like, I definitely would would rather see a continuation of that cast and those characters than the I don't even know what to call them. The most recent crop of the X-Men kids. Uh, Which movie did they get introduced in? I don't even remember. Apocalypse? Yeah, I think that's where they first show up anyway. Yeah, they're all fine, too. But these guys I like more and I'd rather see a a sequel to um, to them. The effects, for the most part, are pretty cool. Some of the action is pretty sweet, especially magic. They make uh, they they make good use of of her um, visual uh, tendencies with a lot of her powers and stuff. And I think that the it does the best job of all of the X-Men movies across the entire franchise of kind of exploring the trauma that would be associated with your your powers manifesting and how it can harm yourself and the people around you. So, I think that's really cool because I think that's something that, you know, if you were a kid, if you were a a preteen and then a teen and you were into the X-Men, I think that was always kind of in the back of your mind because some of the stories did a really great job of displaying how you would kind of be alienated by uh, others while you were, you know, uh, developing your mutant abilities. And I think that that's something that kind of always stuck with me when I was young, thinking like how 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 much of a traumatic experience it would be to have everybody turn on you as soon as you start becoming different, you know? And that uh, analogy that is inherent to the whole creation of the X-Men, uh, you know, r- held hand in hand with any minorities or uh, anybody, LGBTQ, anything, you know, anybody from any group that has been marginalized uh, can associate with with them in that regard. And I think the movie does a really good job of kind of getting into that in a way that it just simply hasn't been done yet. Not to my immediate recollection anyway. Um, I guess there's a little bit of that in first class. And uh, obviously with Magneto's story, there's a lot of that, but this movie does it really well. And I think for that reason, it's worth checking out for sure. There's some weird choices in the story and there's some really weird choices in the dialogue from time to time where you're kind of like, ugh. It should have stayed in the in the first draft, I think, um, and not progressed onto screen. And the accents are all over the place. And to the point where it's so crazy that I was like, I can't even be upset about it anymore. Like sometimes characters are American and sometimes they are very European. And sometimes it's it's just really weird. And so I think it needed a stronger director. I don't remember the Josh Boone. Yeah,
1: it's Josh Boone who did the uh, stand as well, Um,
2: which I've also heard conflicted things about. <laughs> yes, a lot I of watched that. the whole
1: thing, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah.
2: I just so The Numience is I think the only work of his I've seen, but it's just I don't think he's very strong. Uh I think it it has the vibe that anything that is successful in it is probably the result of the actors or the kind of pre-viz that a lot of these superhero movies go through or a lot of the committee stuff that they kind of, you know, streamline it to make it more digestible for the theater. Well, and
0: this this movie got really mangled
2: it did in a lot of ways
0: because it was originally i think there was a cut finished in 2017 and it didn't come out until 2020 right and in the intervening years not only after reshoots there was also a disney acquisition that occurred so
2: from what i understand from the little bit of reading i did after watching it they did a little very very minimal reshoots and then they wanted to do more because they said you know something something in there wasn't working i'm not sure what but by that point, it had, I think, been two years. I think this was in 2019 or almost 2020. And Josh Boone said the cast had just visibly aged way too much to yeah. the point where they would effectively have to either spend a fortune trying to de-age them or they just would have to reshoot the whole movie. <laughs> Which, So, it's kind of a bummer. And honestly, it it would be really cool if, if it had done better, if it had been a more cohesive movie so that... With a Disney acquisition, somebody there would be like, you know what? This had a lot of potential. Let's just get the cast back together, and we'll just say the sequel takes place like six years after the first one and just call it a day, because honestly, that would be pretty cool. I'd be really into it. Also, the score is very good. I thought that was really cool. There were a few times where I was pretty into the into the score, which was nice. You know, X-Men movies, for the most part, always had pretty good scores. Well, good. So That's, long story uh... short, if you have HBO Max, you don't give it a watch. It's only like 83 minutes, so... Yeah, that one I watched in one shot. I actually did that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there you go. The New Mutants up on HBO Max. Um, I also watched something on <clears throat> HBO Max in the past couple weeks. That's uh, a little TV program called The Righteous Gemstones. Nah. Ooh, baby. Oh boy. I think so. Here, and let me preface this by saying I've seen all of Vice Principals. I have seen three episodes of Eastbound and Down uh only and three I've seen, yes yeah i watched them with you uh
2: in, in the ferndale house i do like uh, to stop after episode three you're right <laughs> <laughs> one but, through three uh, and then four through six are perfect little arcs yes
0: um so i've only seen those first three and and since the since we got to the end of gemstones nicole and i are going back to eastbound and down um, but gemstones is incredible. Like I think of, of what I've seen so far and I'll reserve total judgment for after viewing all of Eastbound and down, but it might be my favorite McBride Jody Hill project, uh, that's out there. It's just, it's incredible. The casts, all the cast is amazing. The story is great. Um, there's like having John Goodman there with them. Like, I feel like they, they generally get a lot of really good, like, ensemble players to be with them in these shows but i think like john goodman takes a bigger part of the pie in this and and i think he does a great job being kind of the patriarch of the gemstone family um and so like it's just it's he's also so kind of the
1: heart of the show in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah, because it's there's a lot of wild stuff going on around him. Absolutely. It's <laughs> yeah. it's him and then
0: the kids, and the kids are nuts, but he he's kind of like the yeah, the emotional center for sure. And I and I think um it's there's just so much to it that's incredible. And even reading about how some of the season came together. Um, and, and of course the, the song Misbehaven, which I think, uh, some people, some people might've heard before they, they, they watched the show, but either way, all of it is just incredible. And it's awesome to see Danny McBride and the people that he's working with kind of continue to grow and do different things. And like the discipline of being like, we're doing 18 episodes of vice principles and then we're done. Is great because I feel like there's a lot of places where they'd be like, no, you're going to keep doing this because it did well. Let's see season three or whatever. The fact that HBO kind of trusts Dana McBride and and his team of people to tell the story they want to tell and then move on is great. It does sound like Gemstones is getting a second season, but he also has said that that's kind of what they were aiming for um so i i think the first season of gemstones is incredible like it's a great story in and of itself and if there would have been just the one season i think it'd be amazing so i'm curious to see what season two is going to be like i think people also said that about eastbound and down at the time as well um and that went on to have four seasons so i'm kind of curious to see how that goes but uh yeah no it's it's great and i will say uh just in case you guys were curious Waxwork records is doing uh, a release of the score amazing that I have only purchased because it comes with a seven inch of misbehaving. Misbehaving. Yes. (laughs) Uh, It, and I'm very excited for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes, but, uh, the righteous gemstones is on HBO max. Please check that out. Season two, I think will be coming out at some point next year. I think they just started filming it actually. Walton Goggins. Yes. Yep. That's can't, all there is to say. Can't Walton say Goggins. enough though. Uh, yeah, that's true. But Walton Goggins oh
2: He's unreal man. in that show. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He is just, yeah. He's on another level.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I watched, I, I'm sure I watched some other stuff, but the other one that I want to talk about real quick was uh Shin Godzilla coming off of our Godzilla mm-hmm uh frenzy last last episode i did finally get to watch shin godzilla which i'd been meaning to watch for a long time um it's a very poignant movie for the year of 2020 and 2021 i would have to say in terms of like for those who don't know it's a it is very much a godzilla movie but it's a godzilla movie that feels much closer to the original 54 godzilla than i think any of the other movies that have come in the, in between years in the sense that like it very much is about the Japanese government dealing with Godzilla appearing. And, um, it's, it's just watching the, watching the, the bureaucracy try to work against this completely unknown force. I think, uh, it probably took on a new meaning in this last year, even more so if I would have seen it like beforehand, like I think in comparing this to, government's dealing with a pandemic uh i think uh i think there's a lot to be mined and looked at there um hmm. but even so like it's uh it's weird because the beginning of the movie very much feels like a comedy i think i texted you guys in the group text and i was like the first 15 minutes of this movie is very much a comedy um and then by the end of it uh it's Godzilla becomes more horrific than what he is at the beginning of the movie. And I think, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very, very, very good. Uh, I did, I was watching it on Blu-ray. There are subtitles. I did not watch the dub because I usually try not to. They kind of distract me a little bit too much. Um, But I will say with the subtitles on this movie, they often do subtitles at the top and bottom of the screen where the top of the screen is describing like what governmental body you're looking at and where they are. And then there's them talking on the bottom of the screen. So it's kind of difficult to like really get in one showing like exactly what's going on. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I, I, I very much enjoyed the movie and I think it's worth anybody watching right now, especially if you're on a Godzilla kick. Or if you want to uh, watch a government struggle with dealing with a large threat, uh, Tim, <laughs> what did, what were your thoughts on Shin Godzilla?
1: Godzilla, oh, I it's been a while since I've seen it, honestly. But I am I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. It's actually one of my favorite of the Godzilla movies I have seen, and it yeah. feels you're right. I think once you get into it, it feels tonally similar to the original fifty four godzilla which presents godzilla as kind of that nuclear threat that kind of that kind of monster and it it kind of mines a lot of the same thematic stuff so um and especially when it comes to godzilla so yeah it's it's probably one of my favorite godzilla movies and it's because it it's very reminiscent to me of the original and making trying to make godzilla scary again
0: yeah it's a very interesting uh like if if uh if godzilla 2014 is the tick and this is tock in, in terms of like a clock tick tock kind of thing,
1: yeah
0: this is an a very interesting swing towards like the non blockbustery view of what a Godzilla movie should even be and so it's interesting that Toho made this as kind of the legendary godzilla deal was was working out and they were making sequels and that kind of thing so i think uh it's it's cool that this godzilla Godzilla exists in kind of two different realms, and the fact that like the campiness of a lot of the stuff that gojo spoke to last episode kind of um doesn't you know it's just an interesting road that this property has taken and the fact that it's kind of gone on these two different roads at the same time i think is good so we'll see if toho makes any new godzilla movies i don't know that they have anything in development or that they've shared anything on what might follow Shin godzilla but uh I'm I'm excited to see. It, it certainly makes me more in tune with, like, what is the next Japanese Godzilla movie going to be after, you know, something like Godzilla vs. Kong. So it should be good. Now it's time for our full review of Nomadland. Uh, this is a movie directed by Chloe Zhao. The IMDb synopsis says, A woman in her 60s who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Uh, the movie stars Francis McDormand and David Strathairn as the only major Hollywood names you might recognize. And then there are several people who were featured in the book Nomadland by Jessica Bruder, on which this movie is based, uh, who play nomads, fictionalized versions of themselves in the film. So um, this movie's out on Hulu now, so you can go and watch it if you have a Hulu subscription. Um, and obviously, you know, I don't know how spoilery we're really going to get, but we will reserve some spoilery thoughts for the end of this episode. But, uh, Chloe Zhao, um, I think as we've said previously, in a what we've been watching segment. So she directed the Eternals, which I believe is in post-production. Um, but, uh, you know, Marvel snapping up younger talent. We'll have to see. I, I don't know what I think about that after watching this movie. So I'm, I'm curious to kind of pick your guys' brains. So Tim, what did you think of Nomadland? Land?
1: So I was actually a bit hesitant um, to watch this because the trailers and just kind of the marketing itself and just knowing what it was, it looked like such a bummer. Like yeah. it just, it, and <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been really in the mood for that, but, but I mean, it is a sad movie, it, it's bittersweet, but it's never miserable to me. And there is a big difference there. I think there's a, there are a lot of movies out there that just like, that just want to make you feel bad the entire time you're watching them yeah um, Pixar movies mostly <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this isn't this isn't really like this isn't like that there are um, it's sad but it can also be funny and it can also be hopeful at times and it's gorgeous to look at the entire time Um people with more technical acumen can point out exactly why it looks so great, but I just sit there and I'm not going to pretend this is a movie that I would have seen in theaters. But if I did go to the theater to see it, I think it would have been a great experience just kind of seeing it on the big screen. So I can, I can see why I've seen some people say, man, this made me miss the theater. Um, but this just isn't, I go see the fast movies in the theater. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think it would have played really well there. It's it's definitely more of a character study and kind of a reflection on grief and how people have to go on living after losing someone or even something close to you or even losing your way of life. Um, the Fern, the main character, that, it's interesting in that, that I don't, I will probably get into maybe some of the backlash in spoilers, but this is specifically Fern's story. It's, it's not everybody's story. It's her story. And there are things that you can relate to throughout the story, but at the end of the day, it's about her and the people around her, these people uh, that she meets and comes to contact with. Uh, Cause I know there's been a lot that's been said about the role that Amazon plays in the movie. And mm. I do kind of fall on the side of the movie, not really being about that. Yeah. Um, the, the economic side of things is there though and it it drives the plot it's the it's kind of the inciting incident to everything that i mean it's not kind of it is and i don't i've seen people say it pulls its punches i don't think it pulls its punches because i don't think this is a movie that throws any punches or that wants to throw any punches like it's just not interested in that it's not every character not every person is a fighter some people just want to like live and exist and and exists with dignity. And I think that's what everybody's looking for is dignity and respect. And this movie seems to me more interested in that than anything else. Uh, McDormand is never bad. So this is not a surprise that she's excellent in this movie and really, Mm -hmm. really carries it. I guess if I have to point out a flaw in the movie for me, and it's not really so much as I was a little distracted early on with her interactions with the, the non-actors and like you said, the people from the, maybe that were featured in the book or, that were that she worked with it took me a little bit to warm up and maybe it's, maybe that's just kind of knowing that going in that kind of distracted me because there is uh, there is a risk of this to me where it comes it can come across as condescending where it it's like a hollywood actor hollywood actress be like showing up against the uh, showing up with the normals and just going, I'm here to tell your story is how, is how it can come across <laughs> to me. And I don't, and it, maybe it's because McDormand is so good and the way she, the way she sits and you can tell she's like actually listening to these people. Like it, it, it drew me in. And the other thing is the movie on top of it. It's a very, uh, it's a very caring movie. It's not a very judgmental movie. Um, It's a very natural movie and it softens it later. These characters don't, they have been handed A lot of them have been handed a pretty shitty situation uh, in their personal lives and they don't, you don't hear them complain about it. They, they roll with the punches and like I said, it's not a judgmental movie. It's this is what happened. This is how these characters reacted. This is what matters to them. This is why they want what they want. And I think it's a much better movie for that than kind of maybe focusing on a movie can't be everything to everyone at all times and it's it's focused on different things and i think that's i think that's pretty cool and i I really really like this movie
2: tim tim did a really wonderful job in our discord as well after i watched this uh and kind of said my piece on it and then i think tim kind of a few days later jumped into the same thing and did a great job whether you know it or not of kind of pulling more thoughts out of my brain that I was thinking, but couldn't really articulate in terms of why I liked this movie as much as I did. And I spoke about it. I I don't remember what episode it was. I don't think it was the Tenet episode. I don't think it was quite that long ago, but anyway, I think I spoke about it pretty recently after finishing it. And it's the kind of movie that I think grows on you a lot more the more you think about it. And uh, it's, the longer I let it marinate and the more I kind of carried it around day to day with me, the more I st- found myself continually thinking about it and uh, really, really liking it more and more. So, over the last, uh, this was also part of what I've been watching. I rewatched it over the last two days in parts and um, obviously wanted to talk about it a little more now. It's just as good the second time, if not even better. Because I'm able to kind of take a take a little more time to let some of the quieter moments of the movie kind of sit and breathe a little more and not kind of be waiting for the for the next story beat to happen you know mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's a it's a slow movie not in a bad way or a dry way but it's just very it moves at the tempo that it moves at and it's not always in a rush to get to the next part of the story there's lots of these little 2 to 3 minute montages throughout the movie as she moves from one place to another or moves from one job to another and they're kind of almost my favorite parts of the movie now. A lot of the story stuff is really, really wonderful. And a lot of the interactions with the non-actors, with the characters who are real and the other ones that are that are made up for the movie, but played by non-actors, I I would think anyway. They're really amazing, but it's the little quiet moments in between that really started to stick with me this time around. Because I started to just think this is simultaneously what Fern is living for, but also what is kind of giving them the lifestyle the stigma that it has because there's so many shots of her just lonely and just by herself and just like killing time or wandering around and they're simultaneously really beautiful and also really haunting because there's like a romance to it and there's there's an a, there's an appeal to it and the sense of adventure and discovery and uh and the lack of monotony and always being in the same place doing the same thing with the same people But at the same time, it can literally go from shot to shot. You think like, oh, this seems really nice. and Then you see another shot right up against it and think, oh, no, this seems awful. Like She's clearly struggling in this moment. And I think that – that's a spoiler. I should save it. Um, I just think it's really good. And I think it's worthy. It's worth all the praise that it's getting. And I think it's the kind of thing that already has held up really well on on a second viewing in pretty close proximity to the first viewing. And I think it's only really gotten better. And I, I foresee myself watching this one once every, every year or so to just kind of enjoy it. Because it's a pretty brisk watch, all things considered. Even though it is slow, it never, it's never boring. And it's not particularly long. Um, like Tim said, all the acting is amazing. McDormand is fantastic. It's really good to see David Strathairn. I feel like he's the kind of guy that we all love to see and get excited to see. But he kind of drops off the radar for a minute and then he pops back up in something. And you're like, oh yeah, cool, he's back um i feel like i mostly know him from like um
0: whatever like born movie he's been in i know him from a lot of like <laughs> military-ish or bureaucratic
2: type roles i feel like so it was really interesting to see him very outside of that and have you movie. ever seen yeah. good night good luck good night and good luck no I oh you should it's really good he's great in that he's good in everything that's the thing he's the kind of guy yeah, who never I, he's he he and fran mcdormand both are just like they're both always good and always compelling and they always feel real I always
0: that. like him quite a bit. And when mm-hmm. he popped up in this, I was like, I know that face, but I don't know it with that beautiful beard on it. I need to look up who this is. <laughs> it's a great and when beard. I did, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's David Strathairn. So it, it's it's interesting, like him and Francis McDormand being the only like real Hollywood names in this this movie, It, I think, uh, you know, like you said, they're both always very good. Seeing them together, they work well together. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was nice. Uh, it was nice seeing a very different side of him for me as someone who's only seen him in like, you know, Godzilla. bureaucrat
2: mode, <laughs> Yeah, Godzilla, whatever it is. Yeah. So, and they both are good at playing real people. Like the, mm-hmm. re- I shouldn't say re- regular people. And, uh, they're just great together too. I like their dynamic and I'll, I think I have a little bit more to say about that and some spoilers, but yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I'm glad that we ended up coming back to it for this. Cause I, I'm really glad I got to watch it again.
0: Yeah, for me, I feel as though a lot of times when it comes down to Oscar movies, Oscar nominated movies, and and movies of this caliber, like what I appreciate a lot is kind of the empathy machine that the movie becomes. The way that, like, like I know Tim, you joke about the idea of like this is Hollywood showing up uh, to a bunch of nomads and being like, "I'm here to tell your story," but at the same time, this is not something that would have come across my experience in you know, Southeast Michigan as I live my life here. Like I just never, you know, would have spent the time thinking about these people after the great recession being, you know, deciding to, or someone basically leaving their life and, you know, coping with that fact and dealing with the problems that all that comes along that, like, it's just so completely outside of my experiential bubble that I do very much appreciate it from that standpoint, and I s- realize that I say that from a very privileged standpoint. And and uh, but I, I think it's important to be able to like I I I think uh, Jason Jason in our in our Discord put it very well in that this movie he said he felt this movie's kind of like this this uh, time period's grapes of wrath in terms of like following. After the Great Recession, the idea of like looking at the lives of people as it was affected by the fallout of, you know, the housing crisis and everything that happened in that recession. um, Like this is a very different America than the America that the three of us live in. Right. And so having some form of document of that situation and the people that are living in this nomad lifestyle, I think is a great service to someone like me, which is nice. Mm-hmm. That's a great observation. Um, but I I agree with you guys in, like Francis McDormand is amazing, Dave Strathairn is great, and I I also like going into this movie knowing that there are non, quote-unquote, non-actors in it. I think does it a little bit of a disservice because thinking about it is what can kind of pull you out of it a little bit and being like, is this someone who's an actor? You know, how is this? But eventually I think the thing, the strength that I think Chloe Zhao has in a lot of these interactions that we see between Francis McDormand and the quote unquote real life nomads or the people who are featured in the nomad land book. Um, like Tim said, like Francis McDormand, th- seems though she's really listening to these people and these people don't feel like they know that there's a camera in front of them, which I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like even like uh somebody like, a, like I think it'd be like Alexander Payne. I feel like wants to use uses a lot of non-actors in his movies too. Yep. And I don't know that he does it as well as Chloe Zhao did in this movie. <laughs> like I, I always feel like, like it's uh and and you know like this is very much like the fact that No Man Land is about these very close interpersonal relationships between people in a similar experience that also can disappear within a matter of days or even less affords a kind of intimacy that you don't get in those Alexander Payne movies because he's very much trying to tell a bigger narrative in a lot of ways. Um, I feel as though it's a great strength to be able to like not be obvious in your direction of a scene you know and and to to be able to be in the confined space of a van like these vans aren't on like a set somewhere where they're talking to each other you know there's not like a a van that's been cut in half so that all the camera equipment can fit inside or whatever it is like it's just these people in a van and there happens to be a camera there so i think like the fact that the movie doesn't turn into just like you know even thinking about, I just recently rewatched up in the air and there's a point in that movie where they use real people who lost their jobs after this great recession um, to, to kind of illustrate what it was like to, to get fired or get laid off in that time. But it very much is like, these are talking heads. It is an interview. Uh, it, It feels very, it almost feels like a documentary in a lot of ways like that. And this movie doesn't feel like that at all. And I think that, is one of its greatest strengths is like giving you a very as tim said like natural look into this experience as a nomad i think uh i think i think the movie does a great job of laying that out there and so um i think there's a few other things that i would want to get into in like a spoilery kind of setting but overall like i I do think this is great and it's not really something Uh, that as Tim said, I was looking forward to watching as someone who tends to be a very empathetic person. it can be very difficult for me to watch movies where people go through like very difficult experiences. And I think there are periods of that in this movie, but at the same time, you know, there's enough of the, like finding the beautiful connections with like, even maybe in some cases, more genuine connections with people than a lot of city slickers would, you know, (laughs) uh, to, to use a phrase. I think there's a lot of beauty in that as well. And so I think uh, the movie does a good job of not just being like a complete downer about the situation that Francis McDormand and these nomads find themselves in. So I appreciate it for that fact. Um, Any other non-spoilery
1: thoughts? Uh, Not right now. No.
0: All right. Well, then we'll take a turn into spoiler Terry right now. Um, I'll continue real quick and say just kind of like the some some of what I think for me was some of the hardest to watch is Frances McDormand with her family and her sister and, and kind of the friends that they had over in that portion of the movie after the, she... After, the real
1: estate? Yes. Mm-hmm. Scene? Okay, yep.
0: Yeah. And, and not, not even just the real estate scene, but even the scene that follows with her sister and kind of like the, you know, I think there's a the movie does an amazing job of illustrating the isolation of living as a nomad, because you think about you spend most of this movie thinking about Frances McDormand and the fact that she lost her husband and they lost their place that they lived and, and they, and they lost their jobs and you know, their livelihoods. But then even like the experience of her sister being like, I lost my sister too. And I would like to have you here and I, I know that you're struggling and I want to help you. Uh that tension was was hard for me to watch and and I think speaks to the authenticity of what they were able to accomplish. And I, you know, obviously the sisters it's not like it's Francis McDormand's actual sister or anything like that. So these are also another group of actors that aren't, you know, big Hollywood names or anything like that. But I still feel as though you know, realizing that, uh, that I think when you spend a lot of time by yourself, it's easy to become very isolated and insulated in your own thoughts and not thinking about the other people in your life and how they've been affected and how your relationship with them has been affected. And so that very earnest relationship and that moment that they have, I think, uh, affected me pretty greatly. So that was one of the spoiler things that I wanted to call out.
1: It's also the scene. So the movie doesn't really the movie does. It has a villain, but it's not a villain that's seen, I guess, throughout. And the villain is kind of just the circumstances that she finds herself in a lot of the time. Mm. And that's where I think that scene is also a little uncomfortable because it's really one of one of the times in the movie where that kind of boils over for her in the scene with her. And um, is it her brother in law?
3: Mm -hmm. that is the real
1: estate agent is the it's kind of the most uncomfortable in the movie because it's finally it's kind of the part where she she doesn't snap but she does she does shoot back a little bit and it's kind of it's kind of one of the few times you see that from her character um because yeah she doesn't seem like an angry person but she does like nick said she does she does feel kind of alone a lot of times and Mm -hmm. it is it is one of the few times where yeah she kind of lashes out at, at, at a, and there are there are a couple other times, particularly with Straythang's character, um, towards the end as well. But but I do, yeah, I mean, I, that is that is part of what makes that scene kind of tough to watch because even even he's not necessarily presented as a villain um, mm-hmm. as a villain. He's just kind of a person. Um, so yeah, it is kind of a tough scene. They're to
0: watch. they're people of two very different circumstances, right? Which- speaks a little bit to like me being like this isn't really an experience that I would know anything about being where I am and who I am, and the fortune that I've both been born into and and have been able to work towards myself like all of that is one thing and and the fact of the matter is like the outburst that she has about the about the corruption of real estate isn't really wrong in any sense of the matter like I think there's a lot of like you know you look at things like predatory lending and, and, and landlord tenant relations and all of the type of stuff that's like plaguing a lot of even the more urban areas. Like, I think she makes a good point, but it's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's this tension between the, the capitalism of it all. And what is actually the human rights of it all? Like, what do we as people, what kind of quote-unquote comforts that we have do we, you know, take for granted and the things that other people aren't able to have due to their circumstances. I don't know. This is... I'm going far down a rabbit hole no, that I, I am not saying. equipped to speak to, but well, yeah, this, hopefully hopefully, you guys know what I'm saying. Yeah, Before
2: this you. is the scene that I was circling around and decided to hold off until we got into spoilers because uh, it's kind of where I stopped taking notes was after this point, but this, uh, this scene, I think, really demonstrates, too, like her, she doesn't really outburst until her brother-in-law kind of calls her out mm. and she just is being conversational about it. And it is uncomfortable for the real estate people that are there. There's like three of them because she's kind of calling them out on what they're doing and, and, and asking the kind of the question of is what you're doing right? Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of take issue with that because the one guy says, Oh, I wish I had bought everything back then so I could sell it now. Yeah, And she's, which is like a completely Reasonable reaction to have if you grew up in a middle class or a, or beyond American family because the idea of getting something for cheap and then flipping it for more is kind of what we're all after, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of taught as like a good virtue for most of us, and presumably she grew up in that same system. So her she's pretty calm when she's approaching it and at one point, maybe 20, 30 years ago, she would have been in on that conversation and been like, oh, yeah, that's too bad. You missed out on that. But now she's been living this different lifestyle. And we've been watching her kind of ease into this lifestyle. She's not as nearly as veteran as most of the people she's hanging out with. And I think that her sister kind of takes her side uh, in in the the scene and then afterwards when she's talking to her in the house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think you see from Fern's outburst after her brother-in-law says, we can't just all drop everything and, and take off like you did, which is not neither accurate nor fair <laughs> yeah. uh, to what happened. But he kind of seems uncomfortable that she calls him out, so he's going to call her out. And I think it kind of reveals two things because her reaction is one that's wounded and a, and a little bit embarrassed because I think she still is struggling with the acceptance of her new life. Like I think she does – look on the bright side for the most part and she does find a lot about it that she takes a lot of joy in but at the same time she kind of still feels the shame of it that she's been kind of conditioned to feel. Mm-hmm. I think throughout most of our lives I think if any of us were to suddenly have that happen we'd have a hard time uh living with dignity as Tim put it, which I think is a really perfect way to describe it. But I think it also reveals that at the end of the day we're all kind of hurting. <laughs> we're all Kind of suffering from whatever system we have chosen to or have been forced to live in, and so even though their lifestyles are very different, there's a very common human bond of all kind of suffering under the the weight of the same system. We're all just at different pressure points on it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Like her, her brother-in-law so. is probably not thrilled at the fact that he knows she's right, and he also is. You know, we all have our own problems, and it's a, it's a Kind of reminds me of the scene earlier, just before this, a little bit before this with Strathern, where he uh, he's kind of bugging her when he's at her. She's at her van, and he's like trying yeah. to get her to quit smoking, and he's trying to get her to. He's like saying, "Oh man, he got ants," and he's just like being annoying and kind of not leaving her alone, not catching the hint. Then he tries helping her carry her her stuff, and that's when he breaks her plates. Mm -hmm. which is the most horrifying scene in the movie to me, because as soon as that (laughs) happens, I just was like, oh. Like, I I remember I gasped the first time I saw it because it just was so jarring. And you, obviously, as the viewer, are privy to what this means. Mm -hmm. Fern is obviously the person who is immediately impacted by this, and Dave doesn't really see what the big deal is. And he he apologizes. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she yells at him to, to... Get to get out of here, and he says you don't have to shout. And he's kind of like irritated at her reaction, and it's such a nasty response because <laughs> like he doesn't know. Like you don't yeah. know. You don't know what those plates meant. You don't know what you don't know what someone else is going through is kind of the my big overarching umbrella takeaway from the whole movie is you don't know someone else's story. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their day has been like. Um, you just don't know. And something that might seem insignificant to you, it could mean the world to somebody else. And then when it cuts to her immediately, like, you know, that real close of her, like by candlelight, practically trying to glue it back together, mm-hmm. just like made me want to cry. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she can't just throw these plates away. She can't just be bummed out and be like, well, those were a great memory, but I guess they're trash now. She's like fixing them because it's like one of the few things she has and she's going to fix it so she can continue to hang on to it. It's just the meaning uh, assigned to those plates is so significant, and it's just like that—that that whole thing just really shook me. I was like, "Oof!" And partially a reaction to his reaction, just of, of not really thinking about what he might have just done. There's just a lot of there's a lot of wounded uh, knee-jerk reaction from a lot of people throughout this movie, and I think it just is the common theme of just everybody's got some shit. And uh, we're all just doing our best.
0: Well, and I think one of the things about it that's so, uh, you know, that I think is very genius about at least the, the plotting of everything, the way that it was written, you know, however this all came to be, is that you see in the first scene her picking things out of the storage unit that presumably has her entirety of her life's belongings that aren't in the van with her. Mm-hmm. And she... She brings those plates with her, and at the time, I don't think it really, you know, you don't know what meaning they have or anything of that nature. They look like very nice plates, but, like, other than that, you don't know that they came from someone very particular, or, you know, is is her deliberation over, like, is she deliberating on whether or not to bring them with her because she knows that something could happen to them? Or, like, what, none of that is even going to occur to you because it's in the opening minutes of the movie. Right. And then as you spend more time with her and she spends more time with other people, um she comes out of her shell more and and she's able to kind of like connect with these people more and you get to hear the story about how that was her graduation present from her father who had collected this set of plates at garage sales basically. Um which, you know, was A very touching story i think it's i think it's a great idea to do something like that but also just to like you know everybody assigns importance to different things in life and and the fact that like you know that was like i feel like literally anything in that van that could have broken would have affected her in a similar way you know but at Mm -hmm. the same time this one also had meaning in a previous life more than just utility right oh yeah and so by the time that they get broken you know yeah i was horrified i think I, i'm pretty sure i gasped out loud watching this movie by myself <laughs> i was like <gasps> um and so yeah i did <laughs> yeah no <Both> it's, times. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty incredible and the other thing about that moment that that affects me as well is that like um you know In any other situation, in any situation like that, it would, it would affect me to lose something that I prize very heavily and, and that has meaning for me, but like the fragility of like what seems to be her state of mind, even though she's not like, you know, she's not outwardly presenting as like a mentally deficient person in any kind of way. And like, she doesn't, she seems to have all of her faculties with her. But like when you know, David Strathairn is like, you know, you don't have to yell, and like the, he knows, he knows he messed up because of her reaction, and 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 you know, obviously because everything that they use is important to them. Like I think he has a good idea, but as you said, he doesn't know about any of the other stuff, and so like even my step to label her as like being mentally fragile in that moment is like completely wrong too, because it's more than that. Like it, it, it does mean more than just like, you know, the utility of those plates is now gone to her. And so like, I don't know, it was a weird, like my own personal reaction to it as well as like coupled with his too. Um, And so like, I, I think, you know, there's just something about, being on your own for that long and then the friction of dealing with people, <laughs> I guess, <Yeah>. in general, <laughs> and, and the way that it comes to 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 strike that moment, I think is very masterfully crafted and, and acted and everything, I think.
2: You know. And it's such a simple and elegant setup, too. You just see them in that opening scene. You know, they're important because she's crying mm-hmm. while she's handling them and in, the, in the jean mm-hmm. jacket, which presumably belonged to her. Deceased husband, yeah. But I think it also shows about the uh, the way we all feel about stuff and like our stuff and our objects. And I think it's safe to say everybody has at least a, a box worth of objects. Where if something were to happen to it, you'd be pretty upset. But I think Dave, like Swanky, is kind of like, "Hey, jackass!" To her, to Fern, you know, where's your spare tire? Like this is life or death. You got to start yeah. taking it more seriously. You're you're fussing about your plates, and you you need to have a wheel in your car. Basically, she's gone full utility survival mode because she understands a little more. Well, like I said, all these people are a little more veteran at it than her. It, it is the vibe that I get, and she knows like you just you just have to have what you need to survive, and the rest are your experiences and your memories. And Dave, we find out later, he has a life that he can go back to should he choose to, and you know he has kids and grandkids and people who are who are waiting for him when he's ready to so the maybe the the attachment to material stuff uh, isn't as strong for him because he does have a life somewhere that he can go to and fern is just kind of drifting so find out and she has people that care about her like she has the family uh, back near her her town that offer to give her a place with the girls that she used to tutor and and her Sister is like, you can come stay with us like you're my sister. I want to be around you. But she doesn't have like that life she made for herself necessarily um, to go back to like this. This stuff is what she has left.
0: It's it's like she she was forced into the lifestyle while like Swanky and and David Chathairn's character choose to partake in it. Mm hmm. In a, in a lot of as ways. As far as and we I know, think, anyway. Well, yeah, and I and I think we get a, a little bit of it. I think swing is Swanky the one that tells the story about, like, her, uh, s-
2: somebody she worked with? She's, she's, the one, she's the one with the cancer who goes and sees the, the birds, the um, thrushes or whatever they are, flying around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, um, so
0: there, I guess there was somebody, there's another person in the story that tells a story about how they they knew somebody from work who... Uh, was had a boat that he was about to retire. He was going to take this boat everywhere. And, you know, Hmm. he ended up dying in, in, uh, you know, days before being able to retire. I Um, think that was swanky actually. Yeah. And so she, she, she makes the choice of like, I'm not going to let the boat stay in the driveway. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, my, my boats in the desert, I think is what she kind of ends it with. And so, them choosing to live the lifestyle rather than Fern who's like forced into it because of circumstance you know I think they
2: they live very different lives for sure obviously Uh, and I think that's a a big thing that the movie kind of a big theme that it kind of drives forward is that you don't you don't necessarily know what has put someone into the position that they're in whether they've chosen it whether they've been forced into it whether they are tricking themselves into thinking they want it like people mm-hmm. are people are complicated and you know even Fern's interactions with the younger people that uh she meets at like the little rock uh store or whatever that is yeah. by the road and then she runs into that guy later in the movie and off, and has a smoke with him uh, which is also one of my favorite scenes in the movie when she crosses paths with that guy again. Um, yeah. Just goes to show you, it's just it's all walks. And I, I, Alex, I think you, you described it really beautifully that it's a, it's an insight into a lifestyle that most of us will likely never brush up against, but it it's out there and it demonstrates the vastness of not just the country, but the people that are within it and all the insane spectrum of experiences that, everybody's having out there day to day yeah it's pretty incredible
0: tim you got any other spoilery thoughts for nomadland
1: um just one that i kind of had a note to talk about is i (laughs) i watched that um i watched the eric andre movie on netflix um bad trip the kind of prank movie are you guys familiar with this at all or no Mm
0: no no I know Eric Andre, but I didn't know he had a movie out on Netflix.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a hybrid prank movie thing, kind of like a Borat or a Jacket, or like a bad grandpa. Actually, okay. that's probably what I would compare it to more. <laughs> and he showed it to Sasha Baron Cohen. He This was an interview, I think, with like Stern or somebody, but he showed it to Sasha Baron Cohen. And Sasha Baron Cohen told him, he's like, what I like about your movie is my movies are really mean-spirited and they go after the people in power and make try to make them look like just complete assholes. Mm-hmm. And your movie the best bits of it are when kind of the working class is helping these, these silly pranks or is helping the people involved in them, his characters helping them out. And one of the things that struck me during this movie is how, how that kind of rings true in nomad land as well, because it, it's uh Bob who says, uh, what's he say about the, uh, oh, where'd I go? I had the note. About the Titanic, he he says something to the effect of he sees the the economy is like the Titanic. It's sinking. And his job is to get as many lifeboats out as possible Mm -hmm. to people. And it's a great line. And it kind of sums up uh, the entire movie in a lot of ways. And it is about people divorced from politics and everything, just helping other people out, which is kind of hopeful and sweet and really, really just kind of a, a wonderful aspect of the movie for me.
0: Yeah, I didn't, I, I guess I didn't really think about it that way. And I'm glad that you brought it up because yeah, I like, I remembered him having that speech and, and well, I don't know if I want to call it, I mean, yeah, it is a speech cause it is to that large group of people. But like, um, I think thinking about why this experience is so completely away from, from who the life that I live, I think that that's very interesting of like the, 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 things that are being reported on NPR or whatever are not necessarily the things that are going to affect these people on a day-to-day basis at all because they're so far removed from that. And so like, yeah, I that. That that is a very hopeful aspect of it that I didn't necessarily see. And I'm glad that you pointed it out.
1: So, um, and and that's really about it as far as spoiler thoughts on it. It, Yeah. It's funny. The one, the scene you brought up with the real estate agent, just to go back to, I think a lot of the criticism that's being lobbed at this movie um, for being kind of maybe toothless at uh, certain certain things regarding capitalism is kind of in that scene
3: mm. which
1: is funny to me it's just she doesn't scream at him she she basically says like i don't want to disagree with you but i do and like mm. that's kind of as that's kind of as angry as the movie gets in a lot of ways other than when the plates are broken which i got the scenes mixed up there so it's in there it's just um not everybody not everybody screams all the time not everybody's just angry all the time <laughs> if, if, if you well, get outside of yeah and
0: you know this movie very much <laughs> Like t- towards the beginning of this movie, the, the Amazon stuff, I was like, this looks like an actual Amazon warehouse. Why in the world would they agree to be a part of this? And then as you see how Amazon is portrayed in the movie as like the job that she enjoyed working in that pays very well, I think is, I think, it, you know, it makes sense that Amazon would be okay with this being out there. At the same time, this movie takes place in 2012, like shortly after the, the gypsum mine in in Empire Nevada, the the town that she she was uh, worked in and was from. After that town has kind of collapsed and been you know left behind, so like in 2012, which was you know short nine years ago at this point, like the fever pitch of like Amazon is bad. There were people there, but not like not like the numbers that you'll see today of like we should all be boycotting Amazon. Like you know I don't know, yeah. but obviously I live in a very liberal Twitter world with people that I follow. So where that's, people scream that's all the time thing. where people do scream a hundred percent of the time. Yes, that's absolutely <laughs> true. But at the same time, like what I'm thinking of is like the, the, the narrative that's being told here, the story that, that the movie tells is like, this is 2012 and like, you know, not before Amazon was bad or anything, but like, it's very much, I think people had a more naive view of what Amazon was. Right. Um, And what that it, and
1: I think, yeah. And I think there are two things that seem to be latched onto as well when it comes to She said she likes to work at one yeah. point. I mean, she flat out said she likes to work, and maybe she likes to work. I don't know. I mean, I know.
0: Well, I'm I mean, sure it would be nice to work a job when you've lost the the one that you had been doing for a long time, right? right.
1: And yeah, and there is value in work. And the other thing she says to you, like you said, is it's good money. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think the the movie makes sure not to for me. It makes sure not it, it doesn't glamorize um, the lifestyle either. I mean, she does. Aren't we introduced to her at one point? I mean, she's shitting in a bucket yeah. at one point, and they're having to they're having to teach her how to uh, use a bucket. And so, yeah, I mean, yep. it is it is lacking in creature comforts. And I don't I don't necessarily think that presents. Of the gig economy or whatever in a positive light that i mean this is what you have to do on the road yeah so no like yeah the
0: the i think it gives you perspective we all know that those amazon warehouse packing jobs pay for shit right yeah and so the fact that that is good money for her just gives you that perspective of like the world that she is living in Mm -hmm. and, and what is available to her in terms of the work that she can do out on the road um.
1: and most of, yeah. And you guys touched on a little bit too, is most of her, most of her moments of solitude and kind of peacefulness come well on her own, obviously, but it's, it's her exploring nature. It's her taking a dip in the river. It's all those little things away from all of that. Yep. So, and it's the connection with other people she meets on the road, the people themselves and learning about their stories and listening to them as well. So.
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear from the movie that her her various jobs that we see throughout the roughly year or so that the movie takes place over are for the most part a means to an end. Like she understands that she lives within a system still and if you can if you can make peace with the system and and exist within it but to your own rules to an extent, then you'll you'll find some peace, I think, and she knows that these jobs are just jobs and they just put money in her pocket. Keep her van on the road and keep her traveling. And I think if she, we kind of see her establishing a bit of a pattern, uh, almost like a butterfly, she's going to kind of move from place to place around the country and just repeat this cycle, mm-hmm. presumably year after year. And things will change in small degrees throughout. Like in the by the time we come full circle again in the last 10 or 15 or so of the movie when she's back at Amazon. You're kind of like, I think as the viewer, I felt a little bit of a sigh of relief. I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like she made it through a year. I can see now that there is some stability to be found as long as you make the right connections and, you know, find those inroads with with the community. The people like Dave gets her the job at the, like the, the restaurant. Wall, drug. Yeah. wall drug, yeah. Linda May gets her the jobs uh, at like the camp. Uh, mm-hmm. But then we see her sitting and doing the puzzle by herself while she's doing the laundry. And we're like, oh, Like, Linda May is not there for some reason. We don't know why. And obviously, like, you know, little things like that are going to change. So, the movie did a really wonderful job of giving me whiplash and making me think like, oh, cool, great. She's back at Amazon. She's been driving towards that. She's been saying that's how she's going to get the money to pay her sister back. And then you see she's by herself still. And you're like, oh, God, (laughs) This (laughs) this is still not good. And she's, like, walking around with a sparkler by herself like a goofball yelling Happy New Year to nobody and everybody. And you're just like, man, this is just... What a mixed bag of emotions all these moments are, you know, throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, It's just, it's something.
0: Yeah. I think the last thing that I want to say that really, and you know, obviously if you guys have anything else, we can continue talking, but the, the last thing that was kind of on my mind about it all is, is examining and understanding and figuring out why she hasn't accepted the help of other people and i i don't think it's like this big puzzle because there's a lot of different aspects to it of like you know not wanting to put anybody out or being a shit like the the shame that nick kind of brought up of like not being able to necessarily like uh make ends meet on your own and like the acceptance of that fact or like you know is it saying goodbye to what she still has of her life with her husband, which she does do by the end of the movie. And maybe that's a sign of like her starting to, I don't know if that ends up being a sign of her, like committing to the nomad lifestyle, or if it could potentially be kind of like the beginning of, of, um, you know, cutting the old roots to find and set down new roots somewhere else, that kind of situation. Like, I think there's a lot of different places that the end of this movie could kind of put for an end, but like, I just think there's this, uh, there, she has so many opportunities to accept help from people and she doesn't. And I don't, I'm not like, I'm not punishing her for that. I'm not judging her for that or anything like that. I think it's a very human reaction to kind of be like, no, I I can take care of myself. Um, but I also kind of have to think that like, like there's a lot of people out there that want to help her. (laughs) And, (laughs) And, and so like, it's like, if you could just say yes to even just your sister, you know, that kind of thing.
2: Well, asking for help is hard. You know, yeah, Acce- think, yeah. accepting help is hard. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think
1: some of it's a pride thing. I think some of it is. I think a lot of the movie is about her kind of rejecting a lot of the things that led to her being in the situation. So it might have something to do with that. Trying to reject a lot of maybe she maybe handouts or something. Maybe just her past life that kind of had kind of led her to where she is now and then where she wants to go as well. So,
2: yeah, she definitely seems to take more assistance from the the other nomads and like the kind of the single serving friends that she runs across than from the people who actually have ties to her former life, which I think is totally reasonable really. And not surprising. Yeah. It's easier to accept help from somebody that you'll likely never run into again than it is to ask your own sister and to kind of come with your hat in hand and be like, Hey, I fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me yeah, some money. For sure. My only, uh, Tim said at the beginning of this, that he didn't really have any complaints. And I don't think I really, I have one and it's not really a complaint. I guess it could be a complaint. Uh, for the most part, like 98% of the people in this movie are really friendly <clears throat> and really, uh, kind of understanding or really polite. And I just can't help but feel that, that is not would not be realistic of mm. the experience of a nomad. Like almost everybody she runs across, even when she's like parked illegally somewhere, everybody's like really nice to her and really understanding and very like uh kind of helpful. And I think part of it could be attributed to just Fern in general. She's pretty friendly. She if it's it's uh, noted throughout the movie that she, whenever anybody approaches her, she introduces herself right away. Mm-hmm. She says, like, I'm Fern. She humanizes herself. She, like, gives herself a name and, and just basically, like, identifies herself as just a person, not a not a invading force. But I still, throughout the movie, it was like, everyone's just pretty kind to her. And I just can't help but think that that would not be representative of the actual nomad experience.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think, think there'd
2: be a lot more antagonism for people. The o- And honestly, the only person I can think of. And, and the only example I can think of like this is when she's cleaning a bathroom at the camp and someone starts to come in and she says, we're closed. And he just literally ignores her, doesn't say anything, and just goes up to the urinal and starts taking a leak. And she kind of looks irritated, like, but that's it. Like, that's like the only real conflict with like the public that she seems she, to face.
0: There's also a moment where she's eating uh, in the van at night and someone knocks on the window and tells her that she can't. Right. She can't sleep there. And she's like, oh, I'm I'm leaving or whatever
2: but that's the extent of it. It's yeah, like,
0: those are like the two instances, yeah. I think.
2: Um, and I think in real life, like, cops would show up. It would be way more of, like, a thing. Like, I just, I feel probably shamefully cynical by even thinking it or bringing it up. But I just keep thinking, like, this is not, this is not how it would go down, I think. And perhaps the movie's just glossing over it uh, to make for a, a a better story. to make To get the point across that I think the movie wants to get across. And that's fair, but I just yeah. couldn't help but think in the back of my mind, I would expect a little more struggle with uh, with this lifestyle than what the movie presents. It kind of, I think it romanticizes it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not saying that it turns the dial all the way in that direction, but I think it's definitely airing more on that side uh, than the negatives. And perhaps it's just from where I'm sitting in my life, but I feel like the lifestyle would probably have more negatives to it than positives.
0: I think a lot of it has to do with where they show like the, the moments that we're thinking of are the ones where she's kind of brushing up against the more, uh, or I guess I should say the less nomadic society, right? Mm-hmm. The nomads are all kind of self-selecting in the sense that like, this is the lifestyle that they want to lead. They kind of come here to be a part of this community where they're putting on courses about what kind of bucket to poop in or, you know, uh, talking about, why like Bob bob's thing of talking about why he's even you know hosting or whatever why he's doing this in the first place that kind of thing like those are yeah. those are all people that want to be there and want to help each other and the movie revolves a lot around a lot of that so yeah i, I think i think you kind of like in a narrative sense we don't necessarily rub up against actual so- I don't want to call it actual society because that's not true. <laughs> mainstream society, mainstream or <laughs> suburban or, you know, yeah. non-nomadic society. I think, uh, you know, we don't see as much of that in this movie. And sure. So,
2: and I, I like, think that it's probably the more, now that I'm thinking about it a little more, that probably the function is cause you want, like Tim said, you want the bad guy to be the system and Fern's own, inner demons and struggles and, and conflict over her life. You don't want it to just be a series of like angry bros that she keeps running into that, like throw shit at her. And it could, it could,
0: it could like, it could very easily turn into some form of like just sadistic torture. Right. If that's what we were seeing of like, you know, people stabbing her tires or whatever the hell you're going to show that Mm -hmm. she would have to come up against.
2: So, yeah. I just can't help but think that a lot of times people are cruel and yep. that kind of thing is what a, a lot of nomads would likely experience. But maybe I'll just have to read the book and see if there's a little more to that effect in there. Because like I said, I don't think that it's necessarily Amazon that's being glossed over. I think it's just the day-to-day that's kind of being glossed over. The 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 cruelty of everyday people in everyday life, I think, are the far nastier things. But yeah. maybe that's just me. <laughs>
1: Man, <laughs> you city boy so well, cynical
2: <laughs> yeah sticking up for Amazon <laughs> no you know and none of the, I didn't think any of this after I watched it the first time but the second time I'm watching it and I'm like like I couldn't help but think like the, this is the last thing I'll say because we've been going for so long after she leaves David Strathairn's, uh son's house which is all mm-hmm. like which is all a great sequence and like that all that stuff is all very interesting and She obviously rejects it. We've got this nice scene of some, some kind of tortured piano, you know, dissonant themes playing, and a lot of the emotional piano music. And she's like at this cliff face, and like, and standing in the in the harsh wind, and and there's like clouds, and it's raining, and she's like, it it really seems like she's struggling with the fact that she just walked away from like some potential happiness, right? Like some some potential guaranteed like life that she could live and and be happy and be safe and be cared for and cared about. And this yeah. is what she's struggling with. And I, as I was watching this time, I can't help but thinking like, this is like as close to first world problem in this lifestyle as I think you can get. Like it just, and, but that it's okay I, because it's Fern's own inner, like she's struggling against herself because she's probably thinking like, why, why can't that be good enough kind of thing? But at the same time, I was like, man, there are far there are so many worse things that you that you have and you can and you will deal with that it just kind of stood out to me
1: yeah I kind of this is uh, this is where she kind of go, leaves him to go off on her own right yes a little bit I I yeah I get what you're saying I kind of took that more as her kind of saying that she did not want to go back to that old life and that old life that has caused her a lot of heartache because I mean she did lose a husband and oh yeah I, I for think that's, sure And I think it's pretty, it's pretty clear. I think a lot of times what a straight dance character, maybe he's looking to settle down too. And he's kind of hinting at with her. Mm -hmm. And I, I took that more as a rejection of, of him in a way, but not really him in particular, but that old lifestyle for her. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I
2: I think it's, it's the, it's the fact that I think most of us would look at that on paper and say like, this is a, this would be a good sound logical choice to make and the fact that she doesn't want that has kind of has does have to cause her a little bit of struggle because it's the same thing with her sister like she could stay there she could be happy she could reconnect with her sister she could have some of that life a good life right but she doesn't want it and the fact that if the heart doesn't want what it doesn't want that can still sometimes be upsetting you know mm-hmm. like sometimes knowing what you want isn't necessarily Always going to make you happy. Is that you know what I mean?
1: And she has found enough value in kind of traveling mm-hmm. the country and seeing uh, the sights in the nature and the beauty of the country mm-hmm. that she lives in. So I I think there's a little bit of that, too. And it's kind of it's kind of, yeah, seeing her that maybe she's found more value at this point in her life in what she is doing now.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah and I think I, uh, part of the cynicism too that I have that I'm carrying into it is the fact that there's a lot of there's a lot of early 20-somethings that are voluntarily yeah. choosing this life and doing it for the likes and for the gram and it makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth because some people take it way too far and they yeah, I get that. they yeah. try to glamorize the shit out of it and I know someone who did this and they came back in a very weird state of mind, because I think they realize that you don't necessarily voluntarily jump into that lifestyle until you know that you're ready for it. And you know that you're doing it for a reason other than to try and be an influencer. Like it's, it's yeah. not a road that you go down haphazardly unless you have rich parents. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think there, there's a part of me that's like, if this is something that I would have done after, after college, you know, but like, being in a financially stable kind of place and being like all right i want to see more of the united states of america or whatever i think that would be one thing but- sure
1: yeah she, yeah she even runs into a college kid at one point in the movie doesn't see it and they share like a smoke uh, at one point and then it's kind of, i don't know i kind of like that scene just because i mean she knows what he is um yeah i don't know i kind of i kind of dug
2: it so. yeah that's the guy who she sees earlier with the rocks, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, no, that scene—I love that scene because she recites yeah, right. that whole that whole sonnet, and it's a really wonderful moment. Yeah, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not trying to disparage the idea of voluntarily going and doing that. I just think there are people that don't think it through.
1: Right, right.
2: Like if if post college you had some money you save you had that goal in mind, and you saved up, and you said, "I want to tour the country for six months and see the see the world." I think that's an amazing thing, an yeah. amazing opportunity. But but the dude
0: who's like i'm gonna get this yeti sponsorship and uh
2: hit the road and uh yep (laughs) jesus (laughs) yeah anyway so let's do it no i'm just kidding (laughs) yeah the jared leto nomad land (laughs) oh god fire festival man
1: I almost came in when you're talking about society with a, we live in a society
2: <laughs> <laughs> would have been good. All things, all roads lead to the Snyder cut, right? For sure.
1: All right. I think, uh, I think
0: that sums up our thoughts on nomad land. Um, but, uh, and you know, I think Jason, Jason, the discord probably, I think Jason, like, I think we all would have checked out this movie either way, but I think Jason watching it and talking about it in the discord led us to. Yes. Uh, doing that so thank you jason
2: yeah and it's a nice um, it's a nice change of pace from a lot of the stuff i more commonly go to you know it's a it's a know, nice
0: godzilla versus kong and the snyder cut and uh you know wandavision <laughs> and mortal combat uh, and mortal combat
1: It's dropping soon on hbo max i think this weekend isn't it I'm yeah it i think so oh sweet and then listen to your guys episode I, yeah, I was staying away
2: from that one. See if you can make I, heads or tails of our episode. Even <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah. don't remember what we said. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. I I'm dying <laughs> to. Re-
1: I'm really excited. I
2: dude, yeah, I'm dying to rewatch that one. That's one that I I really want to get back to. But hey, you know it's nice to balance it out with uh with Nomadland. You know it's a yeah. part of a nice well-rounded. Uh, oh God, what did Sandy used to say on his yeah. show? Cinematic, cinematic diet. Cinematic yes. diet. Yeah. Yes absolutely for sure yeah i mean at the at the end of the day if nomadland can make everybody that sees it be go out of their way to be extra nice to just a stranger i think that that's a pretty that'd be a pretty awesome thing i i hope more people i hope a lot of people watch it because it's readily available on hulu right yeah See, well, it, and, can you blame me now for thinking it's on prime video though doesn't it seem no, like absolutely. an amazon original <laughs> absolutely
0: yeah no for sure um no, and I, you know, we'll see how the Oscars goes. I know uh, Chloe Zhao and this movie and Frances McDormand are all, uh, you know, I don't know if they're odds on favorites compared to some of the other stuff, but it does feel like. I think they are. Yeah. So I think the movie is at least. So we'll see if, uh, you know, I think more people sometimes when a movie wins the wins the Oscar, it does get more. Uh, oh, viewership, yeah, absolutely. You know, so that will be good. Um, but Yeah. Next time, uh, we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do because the Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be done as of tomorrow and Mortal Kombat is also releasing tomorrow on HBO Max. So uh, I would like to talk about both of those things, but I don't know how we're going to fit that into one episode and if that will happen. So maybe we'll have to see what's coming. I also don't want to wait four weeks to talk about one of the two of them. Uh, so we'll see we can discuss this is inside baseball yeah. yes welcome
2: to another <laughs> episode of inside baseball <laughs> yeah
0: but uh yes feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com let us know what you think of the show the things that we talk about please go to mpn.bz slash patreon or patreon.com slash midwestpodnet consider giving us a dollar a month we would appreciate it greatly or give us five dollars a month come chat with us on the discord whenever you would like um and yeah make sure there will be a new game nerds out soon uh there's a horror movie yearbook uh a bonus episode that will be out very shortly as well Multimedia just dropped this week so there's plenty of midwest podcast network stuff to listen to uh hope hopefully you guys all check it out and uh thank you for listening kyle xy go watch a movie